Welcome to Dairy Stream, focused on issues affecting the dairy community and our customers. Hi, I'm your host, Mike Austin. Well, today on Dairy Stream, our pleasure to have Michael Torrey with us. Michael from Michael Torrey Associates, and a man that certainly can give you information about what is happening in Washington and how it really affects the agricultural sector. And we kind of label this, Michael, uh, a little bit of what farmers need to know now. And I think one of the things they want to know more about is the USMCA. So let's talk about its status, and let's talk about just what kind of pluses and, in your opinion, minuses may have come out of this. Well, so to begin with, it's hard to believe that we're finally talking about passage of the USMCA. Yeah. I mean, Hallelujah. yeah, <laughs> this is something that, you know, we kept predicting was going to happen and it finally did. Next steps is Canada has to approve right. it. There's no doubt that they will do so. And then we will proceed. You know, as far as the changes go within the agreement itself, at the end of the day, uh, as far as dairy, probably the situation with Canada. And That's st- the biggest, isn't it? It, it yeah. is the biggest. And because the policy is so complicated, there are different opinions about what it means. But USTR and the administration says that it's going to be incredibly beneficial and I think fingers are crossed that in fact it will be but at the end of the day it's just what's the net net after the agreement from your perspective how do you see it I mean do you see it as a plus well, I see it as a plus because what what in its absence, what mm-hmm. would we have? Oh, and that was my sure. biggest that was my biggest concern all along, that if Congress didn't step up and pass it, what was the next step? I will say there's a positive note. In spite of all the drama and consternation you hear in Washington, DC, USMCA passed out of the House of Representatives with three hundred and forty seven votes and in the Senate with eighty one votes. Mm-hmm. So everybody listening, just FYI, Congress still has the ability to work together when they really need to step up the plate and do so, in spite of what you may hear in the news. Well, looking back, though, I mean, this replaces NAFTA. Do you feel, on the whole, from at least Dairy's perspective, it's a better program? My sense of it is it is, but I can't tell you in terms of the end of the day on the net-net, on the numbers, on what's it going to be. But clearly, two of our biggest trading partners um, nearby, having it in place, having it approved, you know, all good. But as you said, uh, you're you're pretty confident that the Canadians will stamp this their approval with it. They will. They will. There was a shift in power up there, but the Conservative Party is going to support this. We want to talk about trade in general. Again, Michael Torrey is our guest here on Dairy Stream. And uh, Michael, when we look at value of trade, I think most farmers realize this now, but if they don't, they have to realize that they are working in a global market. They're working in a global market. And we all know the numbers on what's happened to the number of farms, but yet production continues to go up. And there is only so much room in the U.S. for these products. So we have to be moving abroad. And so I I think that as we move into the fall, there's going to be a number of agreements that the administration will continue to work on. Obviously, they've got phase one of China done, and that has an ag focus. The tough part is going to be phase two. And then you look at some of the other countries. The UK is going to go through a hard Brexit on January 31. So I don't see any type of a trade agreement being negotiated soon because they're going to be dealing with that. And of course, everyone's been watching the EU and what they're doing. And the challenge there is the EU wants a trade agreement, but they want to keep ag off the table. And uh, President Trump has made very clear that he wants to put ag on the table. And for the EU, uh, their argument is, well, we've got to protect our small farmers. And, and the president has said the same to them. So you move a little bit away from economics and into social economics. So I think that's kind of the one that everybody's watching. I'd be a little bit surprised if they get something by oh, really? the election. Okay. Yeah, just because of the, every, all the, all of your listeners know that on the social side and small farms and the EU, yeah. it's always a real challenge. Yeah. Uh, let's just go back to 
to the last aspect. And as you said, you think it's going to be more difficult on phase two. I mean, why do you see it that way and what's really going to be involved there? At the end of the day, the administration went in with some very big ask, legitimate right. ask, but again, very big. And in the in the negotiations, the, the administration is moving into uh, an election this fall. Mm-hmm. They had to show progress. So I think they had to show that they got something done for ag. And obviously... Um, they're talking about that's a $40 billion purchase program each of the next two years. So we'll see how that comes to fruition. But the other part of all of this for the administration and others was the tech transfer. And that's what started the whole thing is that when a company moves their manufacturing into China, one of the agreements they have is they're going to share their technology. And the challenge was that the Chinese then have that technology to eventually use for their own benefit. And that was, while it was resolved uh, on very small parts, it was not resolved in a way that it needs to be dealt with. And the Chinese are going to look at this and they're going to say, look, do we negotiate phase two now or do we try to ride this out and get through the election to see what happens next? At the same time, this president knows that. So he's going to be um, challenging them to get it done because if he does get reelected, the Chinese are going to have to deal with the second term of this administration. And he will not forget that they didn't work with him uh, this year. So that's the challenge they have. So what's kind of your gut reaction on that? Is this going to be a case where, because they're both strong powers, is it going to be a case of who blinks first? I think what's going to happen at the end of the day is they're going to show good progress. Everybody's going to meet in good faith, um, try to put stuff on paper. But I don't know that anything's going to be signed. Michael Torrey is our guest. You're listening to Dairy Stream, and we are talking about trade and some of the big trading partners. Uh, Just a couple more things on China per se. From the dairy industry's perspective, how big really though is China and how much do we need them if we're going to be growing our market? So I don't know the numbers specifically on dairy, but China buys $145 billion a year in ag products worldwide. Uh, The U.S. sells, I think, $148, $150 billion a year in ag products worldwide. Um, If you look at the percent of that and $40 billion coming from the U.S., the, the bottom line is there's still a lot of room for ag purchases by China. The challenge overall for us is what's happening in South America and Brazil right now. Um, obviously, they have a lot of production, and the strength of our dollar is making it very difficult for our foreign, for those other countries to purchase our product. But at the end of the day, for the U.S. and the products that we are producing here, it's going to be a, a big market if we can continue to move it that way. Uh, the other question I want to bring out before we take a break, uh, again, is something you mentioned with the EU and what's going on there. And again, from your perspective, what you've been hearing, how difficult is that negotiations, do you think, really going to be? And is this something that's going to be down the road before you can think something could get resolved? You know, on that, I mean, this has been going on since I was a little kid, and that was some <laughs> time ago, right? I mean, we both well, have that platinum well, yeah, look now. Yeah. yeah, and you know, that was the first time when I was talking, we were talking about the EU, and I heard the word non tariff trade barriers right. years ago. So, you know, our technology that we use to produce food in this country and their their society does not accept that in addition to the way that their farms are structured and the ownership is structured. And, you know, you just look at the EU and take a look at France, for example, and everything that's happening there internally with the Yellow Jackets, a lot of that is coming from rural America where they feel left yeah. behind. So the EU is sitting here saying we're going to negotiate this deal with the U.S., but they have all their internal strife that's occurring as well. The obvious question is, 
Would it hurt U.S. agriculture and dairy in particular if we don't come up with an agreement? Uh, Will it hurt? Yeah, it will hurt. I can't tell you how much. Uh, Again, we continue to increase our production and our exports. And so any market that we can get is going to be necessary. And we'll be right back with our Dairy Stream podcast after we hear from our sponsor. With high genetics and optimal efficiency, dairies are creating a sustainable future. That's why ST Genetics partners with dairy men and women to manage their female inventories and create only the most sustainable replacements. Through genomic testing, beef on dairy, and genetics focused on net merit and eco-feed, ST Genetics offers solutions to create sustainable and profitable futures. Visit stgen.com to learn more. The best way to predict the future is to create. Welcome to Dairy Stream, spending time with Michael Torrey. He's from Michael Torrey Associates, and he is a man that certainly knows what's happening as far as the pulse of Washington. We're spending most of our conversation on trade and trade in general. And just on that subject, uh, the wider horizon, looking around the world and seeing the increase in the middle class in some of these developing countries and, you know, the increased revenue they have available, usually that means they want to buy more protein. So that, in general, is good news for dairy? That is good news for dairy dairy, especially if you look to your point about the the middle class and how it's growing in China and how it's growing in India. India, we haven't really talked about yet. Do you think that's becoming more of a target for the U.S.? I think a lot of producer groups in the U.S. have started to focus their attention on India, but I don't think anyone thinks it's going to happen soon. Um, there have been some comments out of Congress, especially Chairman Grassley, that has said he would like to move on India. He's, he's certainly hearing that from his producers, but if you visit with the administration in USTR, I think India doing something in India this year is going to be very difficult. I think that's a longer-term play. What about Africa? You know, on Africa, if you look at the Chinese footprint in Africa, it's It's pretty big. Oh, it's huge. It's huge. And uh, two years ago, USTR Ambassador Lighthizer said that eventually he wanted to look at Africa. And my sense is that this administration will probably go there and try to find, you know, a country to negotiate an agreement with just to to reestablish a foothold there. Uh, USD Undersecretary Ted McKinney uh, indicated in remarks just a, a few weeks ago that he thought that certainly there was a possibility that they would continue to look at Africa. So that's kind of the, the, the thing to watch. From your perspective, where do we really need to grow our footprint when it comes to a country or a region in increasing our trade? You know, I can't think of a country that we haven't already visited about. Clearly, we started to move into Asia. They negotiated right. an agreement with Japan and I think going back to Vietnam as well. So some of the countries in that. Uh, again, do you think that we are going to have more uh, bilateral uh, trade agreements down the road, or do you think basically we're going to specifically be more you know, country to country? Yeah, I think it's going to continue to be more uh, bilateral, where we have country to country negotiations. I don't see these multi-country um, conversations occurring. Um, th- this president has made pretty clear that he wanted to step back from that model, so I don't see anything that's going to change there. And as you said, this president said he did want to address some trade agreements. He did want to try to improve the agricultural sector. And with some of the agreements that have occurred, most people do feel that we're better off now than we were previously. But again, spending so much time in D.C., what's kind of the mood there and and just how loud is the voice from agriculture among the elected officials? Well, that that's a really good question. You know, I, I guess I would begin by saying that in my time in Washington, and I moved out there in 1990, I don't know that we've had a president talk about farmers as 
as much as this president does, but for good reason, because these trade agreements that he's been renegotiating, fallout has been on the shoulders of producers. And the other countries know that that was where the the weak spot was for the administration because farmers reside in states that matter to whomever is going to be running for president. And so the, the, the farmers, producers have become a focus. The one thing that concerns me the most is that the farmers didn't ask for this fight. The fight came. The administration provided uh, market facilitation program payments to them. And you may recall for your listeners that, that their answer was, we want trade, not aid. My biggest concern is what is the impact of these dollars going to be on the future of farm programs? Because for those folks that don't understand agriculture and didn't don't recall farmers saying, we don't want the aid. We just want to have free trade. You know, we're going to pay a price in the future. And when you think about the makeup of the House and Senate Ag Committees, we have a significant change occurring there, beginning with Senator Pat Roberts from Kansas, who's chairman of the Senate Ag Committee, who has announced he will be retiring. Right. So at the end of this year, uh, Mr. Roberts is gone. Moving over to the House Ag Committee, Mr. Conaway from Texas, a former chair and the current ranking member, too, has said that he is going to retire. And now we all await Mr. Peterson from Minnesota, who's been a chair and ranking member, one or the other, since, I don't know, 2006, yep. a farmer himself. He's not announced yet whether he's going to run again. But I think anybody involved in the food and ag sector knows that if there's no Mr. Peterson on that committee, you know, and you look at the folks that are sitting behind him, you know, certainly a passion for ag and, and uh, the programs therein. But with the exception of a few that sit immediately behind him, uh, members that have, have yeah. there's been significant turnover in Congress, right. yeah. both the Republican and the Democratic yeah. side. So I, I think that, you know, it's just going to be a sea change for everyone. And De- Debbie Stabenow will be left in the Senate. And, yeah. and she's been through more than one farm bill. But getting back to people like Colin Peterson, as you said, an active farmer knows the issue, certainly has been a strong voice for dairy. Is there going to have to be a continuing re-education process for not only dairy, but the entire agricultural industry, in your opinion, because of the people that are taking over those seats? You know, that's the one thing for your listeners to know, is that the average tenure of a Hill staffer in Congress is one year and eight months. Yep. And then if we look at, and I'm just going to use this as an example, if we look at the number of House Republicans at the beginning of 2017, there were 241. By the end of this year, 40% of them will be gone. So that's significant. So the, the steadying force, the steady hand in all of this is that producers need to tell their story day in and day out because the environment in D.C. is going to continue to change and the stability um, has to be provided by those folks that are working the land. Well, let's stay on that then for farmers because that's my next question, what they can do themselves to have a difference besides telling that story daily. Does it still have an impact to have these fly-ins to actually go to Washington and meet with their elected officials? You know, I always talk about this this so-called iPhone, right, right, that connected the world. And what it did and what the Internet has done is it allows everybody to be an expert, whether they really are or not. There's no check and balances in that regard. And so I think everyone has seen stories that come out are portrayed to be true, and they're not. And where I'm going with this is if, if we in agriculture don't tell our story, there's plenty of other people that want to tell it for us. So, yeah, you've just got to constantly be educating folks. I don't, and at all levels of your local government, starting with your local government and, and moving up to the federal level. And 
forming some of these alliances within the industry with those from outside, they're of value as well? You know, we had a conversation about um, millennials and the word of 2020 being collaboration. But I think that folks in ag have understood that since these trade associations that we're all a part of, many of them started back in the late 1890s, where they were trying to bring together like-minded interests to have conversations and to find views that they could share and then advocate. And that has not changed. Now, what what social media has done is it's given an individual a bigger voice if they're witty and creative and entertaining. But at the end of the day, for all of us uh, in agriculture, being able to pull together under one voice with one message is going to be more important now than ever before. Well, as we conclude today's podcast, then what farmers need to know right now. So you've kind of covered a gamut of things, Michael, but if you had to mention a couple specific things, how would you respond to that? I know we keep saying it, and I just can't emphasize it enough. Don't let anyone else tell your story. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. Tell your story. Have folks out to visit. Call your member of Congress. Get to know their staffer. You, you just have to do it. I mean, if, if you sit and think about all the time you spend thinking about your bottom line, working with the bank, going over the numbers, that's a lot of time. And probably the one thing, whether we like it or not, that impacts your bottom line as much as anything is the actions out of D.C. And I wish that weren't the case, but for now it is. And so they need to spend that 10 minutes, you know, once a month or whatever it is, just to say, this is my concern. And again, that means both in the state level and the national level. Absolutely, at all levels. That is Michael Torrey from Michael Torrey Associates, and we thank him for being with us on today's program. Hey, thanks for listening to Dairy Stream. We value your feedback, so let us know what you thought and what you'd like to hear by emailing us at podcast at dairyforward.com. 